You're going to be real to yourself because oftentimes we're not even allowing ourselves to show us mm-hmm. this is who I really am. This is how I truly feel. And you get to that, I'm telling you. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Buying a master mechanics tool set usually means high prices, higher interest rates, and who knows how many years of monthly payments. But at GearWrench, we don't believe that your tools should take years and years to pay for. So check out Mega Mod Master Sets, the master mechanics tool sets that deliver pro-quality tools, organized storage solutions, an easy-to-use lifetime warranty, and much, much more. All for thousands less than you'd expect. So don't wait. Explore the sets and check availability now. Only at GearWrench.com. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. What was the the top two rise from the ashes moments for you? Oh wow! That you've that really took you into a soul searching place where you felt like, man, this is like cancel culture before cancel culture, yeah. or this is this thing that I went after bombed, or I spent all yeah. this money on this thing and it didn't work out. That you then realized this was one of the most defining moments for you mm. that made you who you are. Well, the first thing that. I had to acknowledge was I wasn't alone in this moment of feeling capsized, right? It really was universal. Sometimes it's real easy to start to feel like you're, um, you've painted yourself into a corner or uh, I've always had a little bit of fear of abandonment issues since I was a kid. So it, it's real easy to get like um, lost and feel like, man, there's no, um, there's no real rhyme or reason for, for how I proceed forward. So the first thing is acknowledgement, right? And being able to look around um, being grateful for the people, mm-hmm. places, and things that yeah. you know you have learned to love and and uh, and contemplate with and collaborate with, but then really uh, it was almost like okay, everything's different. We're going to come out of this era one way or another um, with new information. Mm-hmm. It's also a, a bit of a reset. I always try to find that like things aren't falling apart; they're falling together. Yeah. For me, I was like, what do I dispel? What do I delete? And what can I come out of this moment like uh, really honed in on things that are important to me? Um, and were there a couple big moments in your life before the last couple of years that were like that broke yeah. you down? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The for like the first ten years of a career is <laughs> like you sign up for a one long breakdown. Really? Yeah, because you know I I jokingly say in my routine, you know, when you sign up for stand up comedy, there's no there's no dental plan, there's no plan, there's no 
any coverage whatsoever, you're constantly rolling the dice in, in living with hope, dream, pipe dream, maybes, I hope so's. Um, you're oftentimes driving to gigs. This was my experience going to work. Imagine this. You're driving to gigs, hours and hours, little to no money, realizing I'm going to a place where nobody gives a that I'm coming and they don't give a when I'm leaving either. And that's, that's the life until you can figure out the persona, the character, your, mm. your uh, reasoning for wanting to, you know, uh, see things through. So yeah, early years, constant like undertow, um, but give you thick skin, prepares you for mm. a moment of success, and then it prepares you for some of the, you know, spanking machine moments that we all get. Really? Too. Yeah, yeah. What was the hardest part of the, your career early days, the first 10 years? Only getting paid in like French fries and burgers. <laughs> I started like trying to stay in better shape because you know you're on the road. You live on the road, and, and you were living in LA at the time, right? No, still okay. So I area. started out of Arlington, uh, right outside of Boston, and it was really like New England gigs, college uh -huh. gigs, late night New York City gigs, and like my my era switched to like kind of early success, like just about 2000. But that first 90 to 98 was languishing wow. and having a great time with friends and cohorts. I came up with guys like Bill Burr. I came up mm -hmm. with Gary Goldman. I came up with Patrice O'Neill. A lot of laughs, but a lot of fear and uncertainty, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it, it, that first, uh, like, kind of like life lesson, you know, something my dad actually said to me early in my career. He said, I, I was like, how do I do this? How do I build this out? I'm really trying to think it's just like, it's more than just joke to joke or story to story. And he was like, remember something, nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. Mm. And, you know, we would see like people in a Fanuel Hall where you would go and like shop and there'd be a group of people performing and they would like hype each other up and then more people would sure. come because what's about to happen? Well, the key was when something does happen, how do you keep people there? How do you keep them attracted to what you're putting out there? So all those things combined in the first 10 years was like, try to find my little crowd first, worry about entertaining them. Maybe it'll attract mm. the larger crowd, you know, in time. Um, but be better so that if that big crowd comes, they stay. I'm not like, <laughs> he was okay for the first few minutes. So it's like the, the, the tough years in this industry, it, it uh, builds your character and it prepares you for a yes moment to go, by the way, I have a few other things that I'd like to share with yeah. you. Yeah. And do you think if you didn't have those eight years of French fries and beer as your- <laughs> No beer. Just French fries. Never had and, a drink in my life. Really? I'm 50, I've never had a drink or a drug in my entire life. You know what's interesting? There's another thing in common. I've, never, I've never been drunk or high in my life. Are you serious? No joke. Never this been drunk or high in my life. And that's great. And playing college football, you know, I, I went against the grain, right? Because And probably being a comedian, you are out late and people are in the green sure. room behind the scenes. It's like... Yeah, everybody's imbibing. And all I'm thinking about, well, for a couple of reasons. I'm thinking about work. I'm thinking about building a platform because people came to see me. They like yes. me. They're, they're uh, dispersing. How do I hold on to them? So mm. it was a lot of that after the show. But it was also like, even though I like to chase girls and I was hanging out and having good times, sure. the reality was I wanted to wake up early and I wanted to figure out a way to fill in the other 22 hours of the day with more than just sleeping and hemming and hawing. I was like, how can I be proactive in this wow. career? That's yeah. powerful. You needed the edge. And it, I need the edge. I needed uh, a destination. Yes. You know, that you could have short term goals, mm -hmm. but you have to have the long term. Right. And I also, lucky for me, I had a dad who, um, 
you know, just had like this, uh, man, he, he was just old school and he kept that competitive, he was all, he was an athlete and he mm. kept that competitive edge in me, even though I was in the arts, I still wanted to put wins in the win column and show him because he was like, oh, you're going into the arts and I'm, I'm the athlete and you're my only son and you're, you know, mm. dilly dallying and, uh, you know, whatever you know, plays and makeup <laughs> comedy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. He didn't quite understand that I could, I could, um, set goals and have my own versions of a Super Bowl or a, a World Series. It was just yeah. going to be different. And, and yet the mechanics are exactly the same. Sure. I mean, you're selling out Madison Square Garden, one of the first comedians to do that, right? What year was that? Oh, man, that was like, yeah, that was definitely after the the <laughs> 90s stuff. That was like uh, 2004, 5, 6, was doing an arena run. But that's kind of a Super Bowl. That's like a big yeah. win category, right? Yes, I yeah. mean, especially at that time, that was much harder and unheard of for a comedian it was who's schlepping, schlepping DVDs 10 years prior. You know what I mean? Like I was in the DVD. back of a, just like, hey, please buy my DVD yeah. or CD or whatever it is. Uh, it's it's hard. My brother is a jazz violinist. And so I, I grew up watching him in clubs like, will you buy my CD? Will you buy, right. like playing for 14 people in a, in a dive bar. Yeah building a community kind of in a similar arts if you will maybe not as big but um but but those moments matter absolutely equally to the people coming through the turnstile and walking into madison square garden (laughs) when i'm looking out my perspective uh, you know away from an event moment is all of these individuals have trusted that um, my heart their hard-earned dollar i'm going to come through and deliver in some way. Mm. And I never let myself forget that. Even 31 years in, I still look out. It doesn't matter how big or small the crowd is. I go, these people came here, they're rooting for me, they want to win, and they want to feel good when they leave here. Yeah. So how did you keep the confidence, you know, in those eight years to keep going until you started making money? Because there wasn't a lot of big wins. I mean, okay, 13 people showed up. I get it's a small win, but if you go eight years and there's... Maybe there's little wins here and there, yeah. but there's, there wasn't massive wins, it sure. sounds like. How did you keep the confidence that I am funny or entertaining or I have skill or value to provide yeah. and I can also survive as a human being? I had to, yeah, the surviving as the human being stuff is, <laughs> that came with some great therapy sure. a little bit later down the line. Um, but I was always interested in um, self-help stuff. Really? You know? Yeah, during those days when you're filling time, find a local library bookstore. And that's the aisle I'd always like lean against, you know, the shelf or sit on the floor and mm-hmm. and try to find an early version of the four agreements or whatever sure. I could find that was that really spoke to me. I was desperately looking for symbolism or leadership or yeah. I didn't my dad didn't understand. He wasn't in the arts, but he understood competing. And I didn't have really anybody around me except for a couple of great comedian mentors in Boston, but even they didn't quite know that I had my sights on setting myself apart from an entire generation of comedians. I was coming up with the generation of comedy fans. I was the first comedian a lot of them were seeing in those early college years, club years. And I was like, um, I'm not doing this for halfway. I, I wanna be one of the best of my generation. And the only way I'm ever gonna do that is to dig deep, get mm. to know myself. I had a lot of um, uh, frailty. I had a lot of, uh, man, a, a lot. I had a lot. I, I have a lot of anxiety. Still. Oh, to this day, yeah. But you're one of the biggest. You've accomplished so much in the space. You continue to innovate. You know, you're looked up at uh, as a giant sure. in this industry. You're 
sell out arenas, yeah. you innovate before people are doing these things. How, why does that still happen today? Well, that's the guy who can, through the mechanics, through the prep, through the 10,000 hours, finally can take a stage. And also, I'm a pressure performer. I love it. Mm -hmm. I'm better when things are starting to like, the chaotic. sets falling apart, and suddenly <laughs> you and I are like, creating something that really feels even more real and wow. not, and less formula, formulaic and more like it's happening right now. So pressure performer, that's good for me, but everything that leads up to getting to the stage, um, a lot of social anxiety, a lot of, uh, I'm an introvert by nature. Mm -hmm. um, you know, grew up as a kid, very self-loathing. It, it took a lot of years to become more offstage who I could, um, you know, try to become in those early years on. Didn't always do it, you know, had a lot of bad sets. Because on stage, you, you come across confident and, and uh, yeah, you know, the guy I wanted to, the to be. Really? The guy I wanted to be. The character you wanted to be in real Truly, life. Truly, yeah. And, and it took about 15, not 15 years, 12, 13 years before I could identify, that is me. I'm, a, I'm putting hurdles and obstacles in front of myself in, in life for reasons that I need to understand. The, the, the trauma I experienced as a kid, something is causing me to feel like I need an obstruction but when I'm on stage, I feel like it's just as far as I want to get to that horizon line. So I had to become more like the guy that already had the edge on stage. And all that version of myself was telling me was, this is you. Take this into everything that you do in life. Wow. Be assertive. Have the timing. And have a blast. Bring humor to everybody and anything you can. Because it's going to alleviate and levitate people around you. What were you like off stage? Early on, had my little, you know, the, the squad, we had our guys, um, a lot of fun. But away from that, it was uh, really difficult for me to even meet fans in person because I would get like my breathing would, you know, I'd get like really? my throat would get tight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meaning I was fans? pretty judgmental on myself. People that adored you and loved you or inspired by you? Didn't feel that way at the time. I felt like maybe they just liked a joke or like I could, I'm pretty good at finding uh, avenues to go like, you know, but. Or maybe they only, and I could kind of down talk myself, which I was a professional at. I was good at that from elementary school on up. Wow. You know, which, telling, which, telling has, myself. which has some benefits on stage. Yes. With the downplaying, the self-deprecating yes. the self humor. Taking the piss out of yourself. Being yes. able to be, you know, the Eminem eight mile, like yes. I'll say it before you can hurt mm -hmm. me with it. Uh, so yeah, totally, man. You're right on. It's just all that ends up kind of in the in the guts of the performance, but. But when you downgrade yourself in life consistently every day, whether it be in your own mind or to friends, family, and fans, what happens? Everything gets minimalized. Mm. The path gets minimalized, your opportunities get minimal, minimalized. Um, even your dreams, you start, um, what is that like, uh, haggling with yourself. Well, maybe if I only do this, I, you know, I, I don't need all of that. I can't, and you start to shrink the world around you. Interesting. And I think that um, to answer the very beginning of your question, the other element is, I think it's not just about finding a philosophy that you adopt and subscribe to. I think it's understanding your philosophy mm -hmm. and in your DNA. What do you truly believe? How can you learn to speak on it, stand by it, accentuate it, and be able to communicate and listen and understand that everybody is different? And maybe that will uh, be a, a, an asset Right. to the differentness that we have. So personal philosophy, not just the book that you read that, like I was doing, saying, these are great ideas, mm -hmm. but finding your voice in all of that. 
Let's, I'm going to ask you a question here. Uh, when was Madison Square Garden selling out arenas? Yeah, that was like 04, 05, 06 okay, was okay. the start of that so those, wild era. Those years, you're around the world selling yeah. out 20,000 plus people in, a, in an arena. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always um, one guy heckling from like Z <laughs> section in the back. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to handle this one. With oh, this man. <laughs> Describe yourself. And then I'm going to say funny things about uh, you interrupting the show. That's funny. Uh, but always an event, always fun. Yeah. I, I'm curious, before that moment, let's call it 15 years before that moment, yeah. when you were in the trenches. Right. Open mics. Yes. On a scale of one to 10, let's call it the self-love scale. Mm. 10 being you fully accepted and loved yourself. Zero being you never loved yourself, right. constantly downgrading internally, externally to everyone. Where were mm. you before 2004, five, six oh, wow. on that scale? Yeah. 1990, first time I did an open mic uh, at Catch Rising Star in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I would have valued myself. Uh, I felt very insignificant. Mm. I was like a two. Okay. On the self-love scale. Just self-love. Yeah. yeah. I definitely would not not be on a scale of anything looks or anything wise. I was a kid. I came out of cystic acne. Mm-hmm. I had my head down most of the time or a hoodie. I did not like myself. I didn't want to see a mirror. So wow. no value there. But as far as just like, could I have a good chat with you somewhere sure. and like maybe just, you know, talk about the Red Sox? Yeah. The day I stepped on stage, I left the club that night. And I got emotional immediately. I remember walking through Cambridge and I'm like weeping. And I had a payphone, called my mom, and I said, This is the start. I, I, wow. I did it. I did it. And she, oh, How did it happen? And I told her the whole wild story of how I got on stage. And then I would probably have upgraded myself instantly, like, I'm like five. Just because I did it once and right. I got laughs and I proved to myself when the mic was in my hand, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. So yeah, two to a five in 1990. Okay. Uh, and then know. 2005 or 2004 at Madison Square Garden, how did you feel after that moment on the scale? Was it <sighs> was it greater? Was it less than? I would have thought I was like a, a eight or nine level. I would have thought that just given the entrepreneurial ideas that I had in place, feeling multi-hyphenated, feeling like um, I'm a person that you want on your team. If you want to, you know, if you want to have a winning team, you should look at me and go, this is one of the people who brings a lot of great ideas. What I did not know was when things started to um, go down a, uh, a road of hardship, my parents got cancer within the same year. I went through a terrible theft with my brother business manager. And there was about a three or four year run at the end of an eight year high that I would have said, I'm like, I'm, a, I'm an eight or nine level. And then I realized um, that that was a bit of a facade and I was kind of even lying to myself. I identify myself all through success in business with that number. And I had gotten away from the young version of myself that was so scared and had pain. And I did not realize he was still closer than ever. And when the business is, you know, done, you clock out or maybe you're starting over. It's a new machine to, I had a lot of work to do. With the younger version of yourself inside of you. Oh, totally like right. Yeah, no, not, not, oh, wow, I distanced myself from that because I, mm-hmm. I had success or I, I proved it. No, there was a lot of things that were, again, just the mechanics and putting all the time, effort, and energy. But I really didn't, at that time, uh, start the work that I was going to do next. Wow. So, you know, you went with, through these. And that's with professional people and being able to really go yes. like, what, what, 
what's going on inside. Yeah, like when when nobody sees me on stage and it's not about even like talking with fans or like, and I love, I love it. I love that is my identity. I enjoy. I enjoy that whole camaraderie and relationship, but like quiet moments, mm. moments of, you know, silencia. Who you, am I? Who did you feel like you were at that time when you were at the height, but by yourself, how did, who did you feel like you were still? Um, I felt like I was a kid that just wanted to be a part of things, and I built this thing all alone that was very lonely, wow. even though there's 20,000 people around me, because everybody goes home and the show's over, and then I still felt like I didn't have a real genuine love in my life. And again, I'm not gonna you. It's like, I was a bit of a cad, I'm young, I'm successful. I was having fun. Of course. So I wasn't looking to get so serious, but I also knew at the core of me, like, I'm a pretty simple person. And right. I want that, I want that- um, Intimacy and connection. Intimacy, and, yeah. uh, as my mom used to say, you want a teammate in your life. You want somebody you really feel like a team. You're boosting them, they care about you, and then together you've got something that's like your you know, mutual mission. Right. And I didn't have that. And so when my parents were sick, I was like, man, I don't really have a lot of people around me that are here to console. I had a lot of people that wanted to be a part of my business or maybe they're they're happy or take a little cash or be on the ride. But then it was like, I didn't know boundaries. Mm. So you said yes to to everyone. Yeah, a lot of yes. Of course, I felt like I'm popular and people like me and that's what success is. They just, they automatically, we know you now, you're great. And it was like, okay, I have to really dig in and, and put all these things that uh, that I've learned about myself, life around me, and I have to put myself in check and uh, figure out exactly like, wow. what is my meaning here and how can I receive that love that I wanna also give to a human being. Interesting, so on that scale, one to 10, where do you think you were once you found out all these things with family challenges and parents and brothers? Oh yeah, like the real number, was it was not number? an eight or nine. <laughs> what, what was it at? Yeah, no, I was really dipping back down to that five or six, wow. somebody who, was like my um, uh, people love me because of something that I'm bringing. The success you're bringing. A success, to the or, the fame or maybe or it was even just like, yeah, I'm bringing some entertainment. But I can't say across the board it wasn't all fans. I had a really beautiful early connection with fans that I think understood that unlike most comics, I was available. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language then check out the language learning program rosetta stone on desktop or as an app rosetta stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Through MySpace or early... You were big on MySpace back in the day. Yeah, and it was... was, I was... was, um, I was having uh, conversations and learning about people and my fans and 
on both a business front to go like, all right, I'm growing with them. This audience is changing. Mm -hmm. I'm changing. I'm evolving. My act is evolving. So I was all good for like the data and analytics. But I think that my fans also could see that I was like really desperate to share other sides of myself Mm, away from just personal sides. Yeah. Funny stuff. Yeah. There's something, something that just came up for me. I remember listening to one of your CDs back in the day. I think it was a CD or maybe it was iTunes back in the day. It was a cassette. Right. Cassette maybe. (laughs) But it was really funny because I remember the joke and there's rarely why I remember comedians jokes. Right. But I remember the joke and I remember it was funny because it was related to what was happening in that exact moment. And I don't know if you remember it or not, the, the joke, but it was about something like being in a uh, parking garage and the screeching sound. You did this yep. hilarious you know, reenactment of like what your car yes. does when you're turning the corners in a parking garage. I was in garage. Houston at the Galleria Mall and I wrote that two days before I recorded it for that album that you're really? talking about. Yeah. I just happened to drive through the in a rental car through the it the sounds mall like in I can't remember where you were exactly yeah, like even man. if you're going two miles an hour and it's I was just like screeching. I should put that in my show it I think was, that's funny that was the most memorable thing I remember because I was in a parking garage that's right and the sound was making it yeah, as I was yeah, listening yeah. to it so I was like oh this is great timing yeah that's kind of that's kind of humor yeah something that like you know they laugh in the moment but later maybe it happens you know and they're like oh, and you remember this yeah, thing. yeah yeah um, so you were uh, you were still around the five or six on the scale yeah but. Everyone out on the outside looking in would probably say, you've got it all figured out. Sure. You're at the height. Yeah. You know, I think you were the second comedian ever to like sell out Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. or something in the stats say online. But you were you were everywhere. I was lights out. You were in the movies, TV shows, selling out arenas. I mean, it was like you were the guy. Right. Right. And you were paving the way, innovating, doing these specials on your own, you know, before the new wave of comedians are doing it now in the last like three to five years. You were doing this 10, 15 years ago. It wasn't an era where it was really in vogue to communicate with fans like that. Exactly. And so you really innovated and paved the way for a lot of people, which has been inspiring. What was the thing when you started to get, you know, to take a look inside and you were mentioning, you know, working with professionals, I'm assuming maybe therapists or someone else, and I've done a lot of healing work on my own. What was the thing that opened up for you originally that you felt like was missing, that was keeping you from being a, you know, you know not being a perfect 10, but from the eight, nine range right. of loving yourself, accepting yourself. Yeah. What do you feel like was missing either from earlier childhood or what you were missing in that time? The ability to be confrontational, whether that means oh, wow. seeking somebody out and telling them I'm proud of you and putting ego or whatever aside to congratulate you and find you to do that. But also being able to go to somebody and say, do you have something you want to say to me? And let's, you know, this is the moment, you know, calling, being assertive. Assertive was a word that I wanted to implement absolutely in my life. Somebody just was talking about me on a podcast the other day and somebody else sent a clip. I won't say the name. This guy, oh, dang, used to come in the club and it was like around 04. And he'd he'd always pull his hat down. He just wasn't a very approachable, almost like I was big timing people. But the truth was I was probably having massive anxiety at that time. And sometimes I'd go into the club and if I didn't put my hat down and kind of just... You know, I'm feeling it now, thinking of it. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's right there, man. It's right. I'm a visual comedian. I'm a visual storyteller, and I feel it when I'm telling it. That's why I'm, you know, uh, exuberant or whatever. So when I tell you, like, I heard this person referring to, oh, man, it was like, I almost wanted to reach out to this person and say, man, if you only understood, like, how um, there was no playbook for success, and nobody knew how to walk me through it, Um, and then there was certainly nobody there to help me to cultivate uh, a team around me of people that maybe were there to 
protect me more right. than just uh, benefit. Sure, sure. You know, so I was very confused. I was I was confused. The shows were the greatest. The fans were the greatest, but I was kind of spiraling yeah. in my personal life. Where do you feel like anxiety was coming from? And and have you learned how to overcome managing the anxiety and stress at this stage now? Sure. Yeah. There's like the things that you know are probably in good bad comedies where it's like gotta put my feet on the floor and, yeah, and then yeah. you know you rub it's 17 minutes so sure, if I sure. can just <laughs> tongue on the roof of the mouth and <laughs> inhale through the nose and think about the ocean and like I there's a bunch of different things that I know to do to tell myself I'm I'm gonna be okay. It's copacetic. But that's but, kind of more surface level like training, right? Yeah. Yeah. To to not get to that point where exactly. it's like really how do how do you prevent even well that's uh, a healthy environment. And that, what does that mean? That means what you eat. That means what mm. your how your discipline is. That means this is the hardest part: that you are the judge and jury that knows how to look in the mirror and call yourself on. Ooh, you know, to be able to really call yourself. And, and where were you uh, living in the most of your life at that time? Um, I you, I think that I was mirror, yeah yeah I was pretending after my parents passed. You know, they passed away from cancer like quickly. They both had it within the same. They both got it, and then my dad didn't tell me because he was real old school about illness and when she passed a week later my dad was like i have cancer and then he was gone several months later oh so my gosh. nine months oh my gosh and i was on top i was on top of the world professionally i was still in the midst of that like eight year run where it was like never a one spike almost kind of just like a trajectory but i didn't want people to see me um sad wow i didn't want anybody to see me probably for two reasons, I don't want to make people feel bad for me, but I also think there was a part of me that was like, um, man, I earned all this acclaim and I'm, I don't want like my peers and the people that I know are rooting against me that, you know, they were nipping at your heels. I kind of was like, to have something in I'm not going to show them that oh, like man. I'm weak because I was so weak. Wow. Um, and so the facade and not getting right with myself to be able to say to you, I'm having a very bad day today. Wow. I'm feeling a little out of sorts. And like how you respond to it, I, you know, I don't know. Relinquishing your power is something that once I understood that and made it a part of my daily affirmations, which I do every morning, a lot better. Like having vulnerability to express your full range of emotions. Totally. Every day. Reminding myself, you know, sometimes in a funny way, sometimes even to me. Sure. I, you know, it's like I say my prayers at night. Uh, sometimes it's humorous. Sometimes it's, you know, there's more desperation, there's fear, there's loss, anxiety. You're going to be real to yourself because oftentimes we're not even allowing ourselves to show us, mm -hmm. this is who I really am. This is how mm -hmm. I truly feel. And you get to that, I'm telling you, it's like, uh, I don't want to say it's like, it's like a magical, it's feeling present in a way that you've never, ever experienced. And feeling peace. A lot of peace, even yeah. in turmoil. <clears throat> I think even in, even in scary moments, you're absolutely. like, I'm kind of zen. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this. Yeah. I'm okay with the outcome of this. It's knowing you can face the adversity and the challenge and the messy emotions. Yeah. And, know and that if you're, you're with me okay. in a funny way, hopefully, it, you know, I try to make it for the people around me. Like, I'm going to say the thing that I hope cracks it open to where, like, this sucks, but there's humor in everything. And if you can start there, then, you know, you're going to be okay. I don't know what this is about me. Whenever someone says something really sad or horrible like happens, I somehow like just kind of nervous laugh. It's like, man, <laughs> right. 
And my whole family just died. <laughs> that's really, <laughs> right. it's like something where it's like, I'm crying emotional, but I also right. laugh. I don't know if that's something Maybe I Maybe it's because you're thinking of like the, the, the you're tension. thinking for everybody. I know. And how do they feel? And is this person, he looks older. He's probably closer to uh, death. Than you're probably, <laughs> it's like, you're thinking of mortality. Or, yeah, you have to let all that go and understand that what we really love and value about each other is truth. Even if it's uh, a truth we don't agree with. Right. Even if it's the most different, you know, the truth is where I think uh, something's in the ether and it bonds us beyond uh, opinion. Mm. Okay, I have two questions for you for about it. this. I love that you're always a two-question guy. It's never one or three. Uh, you know. You know okay. I see what you're doing here, man. Okay, the numerology here is fantastic. <laughs> I know, we're in that. L.A. We're in L.A. We need astrology. <laughs> we have the numerology with our dates of our birthdays. Your parents, they both they both passed within Here's the best part of this interview. Wait a second before we go to my parents and I know this is gonna this is the best part. There's nothing on this page. You've got like one hieroglyphic. One word. This is amazing. You keep referring and I'm like, this is invisible ink or where is this coming from? You're amazing. You're like a phenom. Well, what do you do over a thousand interviews? Hopefully you start to like be president. But you wake up and you open it up, you're like questions for Dane, and then you just kind of fog out for a second. No, I mean, this thing is full okay, of notes from, like, everyone I've had on. You see, I have, like, tons of notes that I... My page is blank! Well, I'm so present, man. I'm so present. I've got to be more present with you. But usually people list, like, educational stuff. This is a different type of interview. I know, I know. But I, I like that we're just... Yes. We're, we're yapping. And, Absolutely, and I, I interrupted, so I'm sorry. No, you're, you're good. Gonna... I interrupt a lot. I interrupt too much. It's one of the things I have to look in the mirror and uh, say, hey, just listen more. Um, your parents, I mean, yeah. pass, my father just passed this year. I'm sorry. Right? Thank you. And it was, it was a 17 year journey of him passing. He had a traumatic brain injury in a car accident 17 years ago, yeah. which left him physically here, but emotionally, mentally not here. I understand. You could have a conversation, but every time I'd see him, he'd say, Hey, didn't you play football? Hmm. Where did you go to school again? It was kind of a, his memory wasn't there. His, his personality wasn't all there. Right. So it was extremely challenging, 17 years. It was almost like he was here, but I couldn't fully grieve his emotional death. I understand. I do. And so him passing this year in February allowed me to kind of have a, allow myself to heal and grieve fully, right? Still extremely emotional and sad. The whole thing was sad. Right. But allow me to have a little bit more peace and connect him in a different way that I wasn't able to spiritually, right? right? But both parents passing in one year I can't even imagine what that's like, oh, especially at the height, you know, looking for mentorship and support and parenting, yeah. all these different things that you were probably wanting. Oh, yeah. I couldn't even imagine. They were the voices of absolute truth, mm -hmm. you know, when I would go to them. They may not have understood everything in my occupation. But they were home and they allowed you to come back. Pure love yes. from two different vantage points. My dad, old school, very like, uh, you know, just a lot of... Uh, Kind of like that mentality of like, you know, life is wins and losses. But then there was my mom who's just so loving and yes. compassionate. And it was mm -hmm. all about love and beauty. And so it was a nice, uh, you know, companionship to yes. have with my parents up until they passed away, yeah. which was so confusing. And how old were you then? I was 20, yeah, oh boy, uh, 29. Okay. Yeah. So still very young in your, yeah. your, your development. I felt like when I was... I feel like the last three years is when I really learned how to become a human, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I was like, I was just getting smart in, in my eyes. So exactly. Like really understanding more than what I thought I brought to the table. So the two questions I have are, what was the biggest lesson your, mo uh, your mom and dad taught you before their passing? Yeah. And then the biggest lesson that each one of them taught you since them passing? Man, 
um, you know, for everything I talk about my mom, and it's always from uh, a perspective of um, hope. It's always from a perspective of um, championing somebody. She also could be extremely blunt about people. <laughs> sure. And even though she understood that everybody's in their own experience, and it might mean that um, they're not quite ready to be a part of your experience. However, that her language and her ability to say, people suck. People suck. People can really suck sometimes. So I know you want to always open your heart and you want to do A, B, and C, but at the same time, be ready to protect yourself. Be ready to create a boundary. Totally. Again, the word that I didn't really quite experience or you know have in place until maybe the last 12 years of my life, but just my mom's ability to have all this great, authentic love and hope and whimsy, and, and yet she could, uh, you know, straightforward tell me, you know, it's a brutal world. You know? So as much as all that stuff does exist... There are pockets of, and I'm not saying the exact language my mom would say, sure. but she wasn't afraid to point to me and, you know, protect yourself. Wow. Okay. And she also knew that, she also knew that I had a pretty exciting career ahead of me, even early in my life. And so she would say things early when I still felt very insignificant, like, um, people are going to be very jealous of you. People are going to be coming after you because they know that you're sensitive, but at the same time, nobody sparkles like you. And people want that. And I remember talking to her once and mm. realizing, I tell this to a lot of people, when I see the sparkle in somebody, I want to I want to celebrate them. I want to tell you, you're doing something so beautiful and unique and whatever it might be. But I tell them what my mom said, which is, now protect that. Protect the sparkle. Of course. Because I think everybody has um, a time in their life when they can have it. I don't think it's something that just like some people have or just an it factor. I think when you when you know you're in your lane yes. and you put in the work and you know passion more than anybody else around you, even if they say they support you, and then you're in your moment and oftentimes I think people snuff themselves out in that moment because either they feel so isolated and alone or they feel that there's a lot of animosity. When one person breaks away from the um, a, you know a mediocre group, then you're a target. You know, they talk you up, and then the moment you're out there alone, it's real easy to look at, oh, I wish that was me. Mm-hmm. Or he's and, not a, as good as he thinks he right, is, or whatever, yeah. Right. I know him from when he was this way. Exactly. And... So she 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 gave mm-hmm. me all that. That was all, like, stuff that, in, in hindsight, I could look at and realize, oh, man, she gave me, like, some seeds that were planted that uh, would help me, you know, before she passed, and then later after, I was like, oh, I just got to go to what my mom told me and just find the right people around me to help bring that yeah, out of me so yeah. I can really understand it. So that was before her passing. What was the biggest lesson since she's passed that she's taught you? Yeah, I mean, I'm in love. And I met a woman that I feel like um, it completely complements each other in a way that was so unusual, I didn't even know if it really existed. I kind of was unsure if that was just some, you know, romanced version of, um, but for now five years and I'm engaged, I, fi- I finally have that person I feel like is a, is a team with me. Uh-huh. I love her. I love her family. I'm in love with her. Yeah. As a man to say, like, I'm really in love with you. I never said that. I didn't say anything like that. But I say it because uh-huh. it's everything. It, it, it's, I wouldn't be where I am without her. And 
to love this woman and her family mm-hmm. and to share all these common things that we want to do together, but to support each other's separate ideas. It's like, mom, I did it. I finally wow. met that teammate. So that's what that's she gave beautiful. to me. That's beautiful. Since. I wish she could know her. Oh man. Um, but uh, that's beautiful. Yeah, man. It's I feel really uh, fortunate. A little later than I thought. You know, I'm 50, um, but I, I was dumb until I was about 38. So I think yeah. the timing is probably, you know, now I'm ready for whatever that next step. Absolutely. is. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. And your your father' biggest lesson he taught you before passing and after? A lesson that I didn't even know he taught me, which was um, <clears throat> don't don't go down that road of. Um, dependency to alcohol or dependency, addiction. It's a disease. I spent a lot of time with great uh, friends, mentors in AA. I'll go to AA meetings just because I love it. I love the truth that's happening in that room. Even if it's sometimes caustic or, you know. The vulnerability is so real There's things, yes. And I admire that kind of um, communication. I really admire, I get goosebumps now, like thinking of a recent, you know, conversation that I was privy to and, Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I heard it in 92 or 3 wow. with a friend of mine at a meeting. I locked it into my heart, and I realized pretty early that, you know, my dad had all these abilities, and yet this liquid, when it got into his body, um, it brought up a lot of things that I later learned were trauma for him. There's a lot of reasons that he wanted to kind of stifle and numbing feelings. the pain. Yeah, and I didn't want to numb it. And I had a lot of pain. I could, I could have, I felt like I was so broken as a kid, and like I said, self-loathing, and you name it. Like I had every kind of like bad onus I could put on myself. I, I thought that liquid when I saw my dad doing it. I mm. thought, man, what if that stuff just accentuates all of that, and I can never find happiness. So that was a gift that he didn't even realize he gave to me, which was, don't do this. But you, it's funny, as kids, we either kind of mirror our parents and follow in their footsteps, right. or we see what we don't like, and we say, I'm never going to do this thing. My mom would say to me, um, after rough nights with my dad, where things could get pretty, you know, sometimes violent, or sometimes just, you know, um, as I look at it, look back, it's like, we lived on a tilt. And I didn't know that my life was on a, on a, a skew. For years, I just got used to living unbalanced because of alcoholism. Um, it wasn't until I had my own home and I learned what that is to finally be on a yeah. solid ground. We learned how to constantly be at that, like in a pivot state. It's exhausting though. Oh, totally, totally. My mom would actually sleep. Um, I'd sometimes go into her bedroom. My dad would be, you know, where, somewhere at a bar or whatever. And she'd have one foot on the floor outside of the comforter. And one time I said, why do you sleep like that? She said, I sleep with one foot ready because when your dad gets home, I need to get up quick and figure out what version of him just came home. Really? Yeah. She's yeah. sleeping on the bed? Sleep with, in the bed with, with one a, foot already on. out because she wanted to be able to throw that blanket off and get to the door so he wouldn't come in and like maybe, I don't know, he's disruptive or you know something that, you know, he doesn't know where the bathroom is and right. he's in our room or like something that's just like gross or you know unprecedented moment of like um, frustration. He could bring a lot of different things. Sure. And by the way, he could also be the most unbelievably kind, beautiful, believing, passionate person. But this other side from his own misery. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was like, uh, you know, my mom saying, uh, be the best, be the best of your father. She would say, be the best parts of him, wow. but don't be that part. Wow. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. 
Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. What do you feel like was the, I mean, I've done a lot of healing work on my own kind of childhood yes. traumas. Um, and over the last couple of years, I'll show you my phone. I started a, a practice uh, where I have a photo of myself on my phone from when I was younger, mm. and I had an even younger, ver- I had an even younger version of myself on there. Yeah, um, I was sexually abused Oof. when I was a kid by a man that I didn't know, and for 25 years I never told anyone, and I've opened up about it publicly on my show many right. times. But for 25 years, it was this underlying, unspoken shame, guilt, insecurity, trauma that, yeah. and can in. In confusion, so much confusion. So much confusion. In What's that. wrong with me? And am I the only one? And there, right. how do I talk about this? And if anyone knows this, would anyone actually love me? That right. was the fear. Right, right. What was the biggest? Or who could hurt me as or, well? Or who would use this, this against me? Exactly. No, that I understand that. What yes. was the biggest trauma or or pain or wound that you later in life had to realize and start mending and healing? that gave you that peace that yeah again I, I felt like I masked certain things as an athlete and mm. being successful in business to project totally power and yeah. strength and confidence but inside there was a hurt little boy right and it wasn't until I started the healing journey where I started to look myself in the eyes in the mirror and love myself right and accept myself and heal that journey and forgive and all those things right what was that main wound mm. or trauma that you have been able to heal over the years that have allowed you to have more acceptance and peace of yourself. Yeah, I remember just one feeling that was so enormous in the house was humiliation. There was a lot of humiliation. Um, towards you? It just, um, I felt it towards me, but I also felt like there was a feeling just even in the neighborhood. The police are at the cookhouse again, and we were, we were really, uh, my mom, similar to me, like, what do people think of us? She, her own kind of... Um, uh, anxiety about her own kind of like image. She had a lot of uh, insecurity mm-hmm. and, and low self-worth. And so it was almost like this moment would be chaotic in the house and scary. And then, oh, the neighbors hear us yelling or the neighbors know the police are there. And now everybody's in your business. And I just remember that feeling like that was like the malaise or like almost like we were used to the alcoholism. We we knew the bounce back and we'll be okay and have some Chinese food a couple days later. And, right. Ah, elephant in the room and thank God we're out. But the humiliation that always came with it. In the neighborhood, the community. Yeah, the suffocating. school, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who knows in the community. And, and then how I didn't realize that what my father had allowed through those episodes, um, how much it would kind of like haunt me. And then even later in my own humiliating moment in life through things that happened with my brother and things that just, even in my career, things that were out of my control, um, how I immediately went into uh, that same feeling of like, people outside think a certain thing of me and I have no way of sharing, I'm not those things. You know, what other people think of me is none of my business is a beautiful quote, but it doesn't always work because you're in shambles sometimes when something gets outside of your you know, the, the, the safe haven that you yeah. protected yourself with. So humiliation was a, a major factor in like um, probably how I perpetuated certain things or didn't perpetuate certain things. And when did you start to address that, you know, either with your partner or therapist or and start the healing journey of that? Yeah, probably in therapy. You know, I got into therapy. I got a therapist that was great with the grieving stuff that mm, I needed to learn. From parents and other things. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know how to grieve. I was... I was um, 
Um, the funny guy. Let's just go back funny to guy. humor. Yeah. The night my dad uh, had passed away, I, I had been in Vancouver. I was making a film. I flew back to see my dad who was like, you know, hours away from passing away. And one thing about my dad is he loved business. He loved Love talking about business. Strategy. He was so proud of me when I started really teaching him. This is how I built my business. He understood. It's not just fan. This is how I'm. I know data. I know regions. I know who lives. I'm popular here. I build it out. I do radio tours here. So and like he loved that information. So when I said to him, you know, he's he's on his uh, you know deathbed, and I said, Dad, I, I I have to. I have a contractual obligation. One day that I couldn't get out of. They let me come back to be here now. I got to go and then I have to come back and in that time that I left he had finally passed oh, away oh no yeah but I knew I, I really uh, understood but you had a conference you get to see him you got to speak with him man like you know we, we won't go there today because right, right, right. but it was beautiful it was a beautiful um, forgiving manly mm. but still boys the boy in him and oh, the boy gosh, in me almost man. felt like met He'd had a stroke a few uh, months before he couldn't communicate in those last weeks. He could only say one word. It's a, like an, uh, there's a certain stroke that's, uh, forgive me, it's almost like a, a, a certain impact that uh-huh. you get where you say one word. He couldn't communicate except to say like school, 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 school. Um, and yet we had the most beautiful conversations. Really? Even though we couldn't say everything exactly with the right vernacular, um, we could communicate in a way that I'd always hoped to have with my father. So when wow. I left that night, I get to LA, and my sister Courtney is like, you know, Dad, Dad, uh, you know, he's he's passed away, and um, I went on stage two hours later. Oh my god! I didn't know what else to do. Right. And I wasn't in the process of grieving at that. I didn't. No. All, all I knew was he raised me to win. I'll go win tonight. I'm going to go on stage, and I told the crowd at the midway point of the show. I said, my dad just died. Holy cow! Yeah, and of course, one guy was like. <laughs> Like, there's always one weird like, laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And then I'm like, you're laughing, but I know. And then I talked about my dad. And I told some stories that I knew the crowd kind of knew from past. It was funny. And it was me, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. an homage to my father. But that was also a night that I went home. I was like, as much as that felt good to do, I'm like, I think there's another way I need to. My mom had already passed. And then, you know, here's my dad. And I'm like, I don't really know how to be... Um, Sad. I don't really know how to really let that come through me in a in a real, meaningful, healthy mm-hmm. way. I had to learn that. Wow. Yeah. Was there was there a time when you finally allowed yourself to open up and crack open emotionally and, gr- oh, yeah. and grieve? Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. not turn to humor as the yeah. comfort. Well, grief turns to celebration. I find that yeah. when you like can you round that corner and you can finally realize that like yeah there may be not everybody has a certainly nobody has a quintessential upbringing. You, know, you kind of finally have to realize there's certain things that, you know, are things that you may be perpetuating. You need to find even maybe forgiveness or closure of yourself, you know, admit things to yourself that maybe you could have done differently or, or wanted to do. Right. And then acknowledging the love, the, you know, they brought me into this world. These are the gifts they gave me. These are the things that they acknowledged. These are the things that I got to show my parents. And then sitting in with a therapist and not only going through what all of that meant to really you know, let it all go in a, in a, like in one real, you know, I, I'm, I'm the most in touch I'm ever going to be with myself emotionally right at this moment wow. and hopefully for years to, to come. 
But then from that being like, all right, that felt good. Now, what else can I be doing to try to um, relegate outsiders to stay outside and start building up like my own fortress of solitude with, wow. with true, genuine love for the people who love me just for me and not for any other reason. I'm going to quit comedy. I want to start over. I want to do that. Who really is there for you? And it's and it's five words that are now in my life and in even my routine. And above it all, you'll hear me say this because I love to put a lot of my truth even in comedy. That's beautiful. Mindful, thoughtful, compassionate, collaborative, caring. If people around you don't check those boxes, go. Say it one more time. Mindful, thoughtful, compassionate, collaborative, caring. Collaborative. I think a lot of people in business want to be competitive. And it sounds like that was kind of like the, the scene growing up for you in comedy where it was right. not as like, hey, I want to see you succeed and you succeed and let's let's collaborate together. It was more like there's not enough fans for everyone, yeah. you know, type of mentality. Oh, man, it was like it was like uh, the fatalities in uh, Mortal Kombat. Right. You were just <laughs> like, you were just waiting. <laughs> Somebody wanted to come, you know, and, and, and grab that spot. Yeah. And you don't learn until you're a little, little bit older. There's plenty of room for everybody on the oh, beam yeah. here. We don't have to knock each other off, but in that era, of, you know, where I was at that young age and finding self-made success, it was like it's competitive, just like you know, constantly. I, I, I feel like the only way it's exhausting living that life. I lived that life in sports, and then kind of my first, I don't know, five, six years of business, it was more subconscious, like competitive. Like I want to sure. be the best. I want to win. You're I want right, to dominate. Right. right? Yeah. You're just listening to that karate kid yeah. thing. You're the best. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But then about 10 years ago, I started realizing like, okay, I'm accomplishing, I'm making money, I'm having success externally, but internally I wasn't feeling fulfilled. Right. And it was right around the time I launched School of Greatness 10 years ago, I was like, I don't want this to be the Lewis Howe show, although there's nothing wrong with that. Right. I was like, I want this to be about something bigger than me. And I want to bring on, you know, brilliant people like yourself who've done incredible things in the world and make it about them mm. and lift others up. And yeah. whenever we've put the spotlight on someone else, in a unique and inspiring way, usually there's a reflection. Mm. And so I think when I see you know comedians today who are collaborating with their friends and say, we're all gonna be on stage and maybe I'm the headliner, but I wanna bring you guys with me. Totally. I'm spotlighting each other. It's sure. cool to see people lifting each other up in the podcast world, the comedy world, the business world so. as well. It's really cool. I'm curious, what, it would, what lessons has fame taught you? Because you kind of were <laughs> in the fame world in the com when not many big comedians really who are like globally known, yeah. maybe there was a handful, but you got into that spotlight in LA, the whole scene. What did fame teach you about yourself right. and about life? And for people that think they want to be well known or have yeah, a yeah, big yeah. audience or have the platform or have the following, what should people know about fame? Yeah, were you ready for it? <laughs> and what do you and how do you wish you would have been oh, more prepared? Boy. For the spotlight, this is like let's. Uh, this is like two hour part two. Oh man, let me let me boil it down to you know some of the I guess fundamentals. First thing about fame is at first it's a blast, uh -huh. right? Because it it just facilitates every empty pocket void, you know, uh, every no that you've ever thought like, oh, they wouldn't let me be a part of that club or, you know, I'd be on the team. from oh, girls. Man, yeah, the, yeah, girl, all yeah, the girls. Yeah. <laughs> I told you I'd be somebody. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like, be lying if you didn't say, like, the dopamine hit of fame at first. And then, very quickly, almost immediately, um, you get a little bit of a window of opportunity where it's, like, really just about, like, it's very flowery. You know, it's part of, like, the talk up, right? 
And then you have to understand that the whole thing is contingent on a narrative that has nothing to do with you. And there's going to be a version of you that's here. And then let's use the internet as like the, that, that, that's a show. That's a show that you participate in by posting and stuff as well. Mm -hmm. But there's a narrative that takes place, sometimes several. There's a few versions of Dane Cook. There's a few versions of, you name a person, there's, there's hybrid versions. And depending on what kind of person you are, you follow that narrative. Mm. There's a narrative of me in People Magazine that's very like homegrown and, you know, likes to just, uh, you know, uh, proposing on the side. <laughs> and people, it, that's the love narrative. And people want to, everything about you, they, oh, you, they just, it's almost like, oh, it's almost um, overwhelming amount of what they believe your life is in that, in that version. Then there's another version that's very salacious. There's a version of your your narrative that's been pretty much hijacked is the way I refer to it. I've had my narrative hijacked to where a story goes, somebody says something, everybody goes, we want that to be true. Mm. He's a bad guy. And then they'll talk that up to the point where it feels like a real person. It just takes one person to say it too. That's the thing is I sometimes feel like the internet, like everybody's like, somebody just say it. Somebody just say that one thing based up. on that meme or somebody, and we'll all just take it and then... Amplify it. Amplify it. And you've got to sit back and realize it's never going away. It's it's always going to be a version of a conversation where people are going to be... One time I heard about a thing with it, and it's imperative to do two things. I'll keep it on the list of two since yeah, we don't yeah, do yeah. ones and threes here. <laughs> the two things is to always be able to share your narrative, share your truth, even if it's not always easy to do. You know, if you can in real time be letting people know um, these are the these are the um, overwhelming things I deal with or the things through my, you know, a great marriage that I'm in or something I'm learning from my kids. Whatever you can do to truly always keep your narrative front and center, that's important. Um, and also, the greatest thing I've learned in the last 12 years is anything that you garner, give it to somebody else who needs that support or love. What do you mean? That's the whole thing. That means that means that I identify myself, right? I, I jokingly, I'm the old bull. Yeah, I got some wisdom now. But truthfully, all I want to do is take any of that energy and, uh, you know, even if it's impulsive or if it's uh, a version of an idea that's kind of like my ragtag, I just want to find people and be able to share some form of knowledge mm, yeah. with them. It's not early fame is I got it. It's about me. I did it. I'm here. And then you go a little further along and say, man, it feels so much better to help somebody else cultivate their dream. To be a part of what you now know as a famous person, this is a show. This is hard. And it's a lot of people that are there for the wrong reasons. And if you can be one of the people that says, I don't need anything from you. I don't want anything from you. But I would like to share something with you. And where that is for me, where a lot of that lives is, is this kind of sentiment statement that I came up with a few years ago. When you're at your rock bottom, and I've been to a few rock bottoms, but when you're really there, don't, don't be so quick to try to come up for air. Really? Don't, don't, don't try to like in a, in a almost panicked way, escape it. Take a beat and acknowledge what's happening around you. And evaluate. Evaluate. Yeah. Understand uh, the level of brokenheartedness you feel or whatever got you to that point really take a second to let just let it all in the same way you want to let the biggest laugh out when you're laughing 
take a minute when you're at rock bottom, look around, because I promise you, I, I absolutely guarantee, which is not something that you would really put on anything, you will come up with more data that leads to your success. It's all at that bottom. Really? It's, everything is at that bottom. I would even go so far as to say, you put yourself, you needed to see that bottom. Really? The hurdles I talked about earlier, the obstacles, all those things I realized in life, like, they start to dissipate once you see that they really don't have any power. They, the power is I put, I put them there to put a limit on myself. And why do I put a limit on myself? Because I'm truly scared. And if I only go this far, then that makes me go, I'm, I'm okay because I went this far. Why don't I want to think further? Why can't I be of value to you, to strangers? To So hitting that rock bottom moment for me, and, and I like I said, I hit a couple that were like really like undertow moments. I could learn to look around and go, I'm coming up from this. When I finally like take that big breath of air, I'm going to come with more data in my own personal analytics. And I'm going to use these things in a way that nobody else would think to use them, which oh. is to further myself as a better contributing member to my community. Wow. What? Okay, so if you could go back to the, the, the version of you before really things started to take off, yeah. before you got Wouldn't famous and it. known, what would you tell yourself, though, to be ready for? I don't for know, it? man. I don't know. It's like I'm so I'm so uh, complete in yeah, some ways, and good. not. And by the way, not fully. I definitely still like I, I I'm I'm a uh, I like It'll to recalibrate. Apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that means I took it apart. Now, now I don't even know if I know how to do this a different way or whatever. Um, so I understand that feeling of being like back behind the eight ball in some way, shape, or form. But if I could go back. I guess the one thing you kind of want to like whisper, like, you know, you come up in a hoodie sure. is just um, something that my mom used to always try to remind me, which is be your best friend, be your best friend to yourself, to you. Cause I was not, I didn't, I, I, I didn't, I actually didn't like my, my mom would say that rubbing my back helped me to come down from it. You have to, you have to be your friend, be your own friend. And I thought it was so weird and I didn't like it for so many years. Mom, I don't want to be, I don't. I want friends. I want someone else to make me feel good. And it took so, so long to finally realize when you can look at yourself in the mirror and really enjoy your own company, mm-hmm. you know, your your high water marks, which you need to celebrate, and even the rock bottom moments that you know you came back from with better data and a better version of yourself moving forward, that's the place that you want to wow, be. So I would man. tell that to myself. Just be your own friend and, and you know, breathe. How many people who have fame, again, I'm not calling out names or anything, but just in your own opinion, how many Let's people- Let's call out names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this next segment is names. Exactly. <laughs> how, many people, how many people do you think <laughs> who have developed some type of fame truly are their own best friend and love themselves or are more putting on a mask to try to protect their fears and insecurities? Oh, there, I know a lot of different kinds of fame. I know people that are famous and they're very good at it and they're very good at the facade and that's their- that's their storefront window. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's for um, you know whatever their pomp and circumstance and like it, it, fame comes in so many different elements. Um, some people are you know filling a void. Some people are truly like running away from something completely. Other people want that because with more fame, there's more power, and that means controlling people. So, you know, every every uh, version of fame, I feel like I've broken bread with at some point yeah, or another. Yeah. But I also know that I've had the experience of working alongside of people that are genuinely some of the most fascinating, uh, inspiring, creative people. Kevin Costner is an example of, I worked with Kevin 15 years ago in a film called Mr. Brooks. 
Mm-hmm. He trusted me to play a dramatic role, even though I was a kid that people knew just from comedy. I was being pigeonholed pretty quick sure. and did not want that. And he believed in me and he gave me this shot. And I mean, forget about Dances with Wolves, forget about The Untouchables, forget about like, but then I was like learning about all the charity work that he was doing and learning about like the crew and the people around him that like want so desperately to be a part of that next idea. And mm. Just how he handled himself and treated his crew it made me go, like, I want to be a better version of myself based on what this gentleman is sharing with me. And it, oh, by the way, very funny. You know, just could, could you know, be quick with humor in a stressful moment. And mm-hmm. I feel like people like him, and, and I've been fortunate to be surrounded with people that are really like um, the best version of fame. Yeah. The magnifying to where it, it magnifies their creativity, but it magnifies their generosity. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. That's what people say about money. The more money you have just magnifies who you are. Yeah. It expresses who you are more to people. If you're a generous and kind person before you have money, you'll be more generous and kind. Very true. If you're narcissistic and angry and scared you're going to be more of those things with yeah money. a lot of the same is, thing with fame right a lot of that yeah especially like early fame it's it, yeah. yeah you really you 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 are now part of this somewhat considered elite inner circle that once you're in there's really nobody else in that circle that truly is like here's how we do things here <laughs> who understands it's, a, it's, it, yeah. it's completely discombobulated and like i said there's no playbook for it and there's also no real way to protect yourself from some of the stabs the and some of the takes. And yeah. so you have to almost go Jeez. with whatever gets taken, you know, I, I, not to, I don't want to delve too deep into this today, mm-hmm. Yes, but you know, I put my brother in prison because I'm, we're actually doing a documentary about mm-hmm. that era of my life. And he went to jail for stealing from me. He worked with me. He helped me, you know, pay my bills. Yes, He was taking an exorbitant amount of money and he ended up going to prison. And the one thing I did say in the courtroom when I read uh, an impact letter, it's called a victim impact letter. I said, the thing you forgot was, I, I'm, forget about how competitive I am with me. I'm not competitive with, I'm really not, unless we're on war zone or maybe golf, right. I'm a competitive person with me. I set a thing for myself and I want to exceed that expectation. And he knew that. And I said, you forgot that these things light my fire. Mm. And you lit a forest fire. And I said, but you, what you really forgot, and I read this in the letter, I said, you forgot that you could take anything you want from me. And maybe people will again, but you'll never take what's in here. Wow. That's the most valuable currency I have, and nobody's getting that. Wow. Unless watch on the way home, somebody will knock me out, I'm in a van, and then somebody takes my brain. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. It's like... <laughs> no, but it was a powerful moment to be able to say that to him and acknowledge wow. and, and pretty quickly understand, um, I'm going to be okay. Right. You know, this, I'm very different from what he did to me, but I'm also, f- it's forming who I'm meant to be, which is a person Gosh. that you want to have on your life, in your life, because I don't want anything from anybody except for you to see value in you. And then that's the high I get is being like, yes, I knew we all saw that in you. And when you triumph, 
I get to sit somewhere, you know, eating my popcorn, being like, I saw the sparkle in that person. My mom would be very proud that I seek that person out and said, I hope that you're getting a lot of people saying, don't stop because you're, you're good. You're good kid. That's beautiful, man. How did you learn or have you forgiven the people in your life, whether it be your brother or others who have hurt you or taken from you or, you know, backstabbed you or lied to you, manipulated you? Have you been able to forgive all these people? (sighs) Not all, but you know, yeah, I definitely have. I've had a lot of hard conversations as I call it. You know, you gotta have hard conversations in life. Which is the first step at least. First step. I mean, sitting almost similar to, like what you wanna do is take a table, you wanna sit knee to knee with another human being and you wanna open up and you wanna say. Open body. Can we have a hard conversation? Wow. And you allow it, you know? Okay. And then the best thing you can do is fall on the sword and talk about yourself first and what you think that you may have done. Maybe that was a disservice or you gotta acknowledge first. Nobody wants to hear you Da, 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 da. No, like a say. point and a U is like a quick way to, to somebody needs a bathroom break and then they're driving away at 80 This miles. is the thing I take responsibility for, for and how I yeah. could have been The reason I or... want to speak to you today is because I don't like how I feel when I think of us. Mm-hmm. I, it hurts me to know that we've hurt each other. And if you can find a way to ingratiate yourself and... We, not you, did this to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, maybe maybe it isn't. I've had hard conversations where it wasn't necessarily something <laughs> I did, but I still have to, you still want to be able to to say, like, you know, your version, your way of life. Mm-hmm. In searching my feelings, when I think of you or us, it it uh, it, it pings me in a way that, like, yes. I want to understand. And will you help me to understand? And so from having those hard conversations, it, it has, oh, man, it's like... Uh, it's so much further than the simplicity of the answer, but it's allowed me to always acknowledge that I'm a flawed person. Um, I can take responsibility and accountability, but I can also sit with you and acknowledge in a healthy way that if there was a moment where I had the baton and I was in front, that's I, I'm gonna I'm gonna celebrate an accomplishment as well, and I want people around me to know you can celebrate your com- accomplishment with me. This world we've created, where everything has to be somewhat like, is, you know, everybody's at some kind of maintained uh, decorum. I don't I don't know. If you have your moment, it's like you you should be upfront. You should yeah. be touted. How many of them do you get in life? So I say, you know, you don't play those moments down. You have hard conversations with people and you say like, I want to be able to celebrate my victories with you, through you, but I also want you to be able to come mm. to me and know like, I'm the real deal. Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a straight shooter. And whether it's a big, big win or like you fell on your face, I'm going to be the first person to be like, this is what I saw from my two cents. Those are the people you want in your life, wow. man. You're a deep dude, man. I try, man. I love I, it. I love it. I, you know, I, we got one ticket on this ride. I love it. You know, one ticket. And the energy we create, I do believe that whatever you believe after, it's like, I think we take it with us. Absolutely. You know, so I'm just trying to entertain people. You know, the new show is about celebrating like um, 30 years of stand up comedy to to do something aesthetically beautiful. It's a beautiful special with an incredible legendary director, Marty Culner. And to really show people, I'm standing on my porch. This is the most transparent, vulnerable version and place you could be. This is my home. You're really in my home. But this is that I worked my ass off on for years. Mm. It's ready to go for public consumption, but I've mixed in something that I've always wanted to have, which I can now say is introspection. Right, and I'm, I'm gonna keep asking you questions, but you, you've got this. Oh wait, uh, so now you got this, oh wait a second, hold on, the notebook just had a couple of click notes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I want to make <laughs> sure I get it right. A. I want to make sure I get it right. I was seeing the bio up there before. Okay. I, I haven't okay. looked at it once, but I want to make sure because I want to keep asking you some questions. I think are yes. going to be really powerful. Above it all, but above it all is out uh, October fourth. It's pre-order now, but then officially through right. DaneCook.com. It's like, it, you know, it's it's accessible to everybody, which yes. I love. It's exciting. So yeah. we'll go to DaneCook.com, pre-order it now, or if you're listening after, go get it and watch it. Yeah. Um, curious about forgiveness because we touched on this for a second. Is there a moment, person, or thing that you have yet to fully forgive in your life? Yeah, in, in those hard conversations, sometimes you actually have to come to terms that like, yeah, you we're, listen, we're not ready. It's not just like... Right. But at, this is a start. So, yeah, no, there's been hard conversations that uh, we agree to disagree. But that's okay. Some right. of the best friendships I have are from things that I thought were depleted, but we revisited. And then there's a new respect that gets formed sometimes of being like, man, we've aired it out. We said some not-so-nice things. But at least we shared our truth. Yeah, but we both have maybe um, our fathers have passed away. Mm-hmm. And even though we agree on next to nothing, we can both agree that we love our dads. And we want to be good kids for them for the rest of our life. Now, if we can't start from there and do something together, right? I, you know, or maybe it doesn't mean you're going to be partners on every business moving forward or, or close friends, but at least you can resolve some of the past pain or hurts and, and say, I, I accept you from a distance, and yeah. you know, I wish you the best. Totally. Right. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean we're we're on a we're forging a path together, but it means, oh man, I I know that if we do bump into each other in some way, shape, or form. That there is a, a respect there because yes. we both understand like a very simple human thing that we both, right. you know, have gone through that pain together. Do you feel like you've been able to figure, forgive yourself fully for just everything in life? Um, it's been a lot. It's been work. Yeah, there was times in my life where I felt like, um, you know, I lost my way. Definitely mm. during like coming to, you know, be successful. Definitely lost my way and probably in my own um, failures had tried to create a version of myself that like I thought um, pleased people. Um, and so I didn't always treat my relationships with care. And I think that part of that too is just feeling maybe that selfish moment of like the hubris it's of like, me. It's, it's about, about me right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And what I realized then was, oh man, I, it's not necessarily just about the women that I was with. It was the women that I was with were affiliated with alcoholism and I knew the love of alcoholism okay the love of alcoholism for me from my dad was there's chaos and then there's calm mm. and really great I'm sorry's in love and so and then you repeat the cycle yeah so the alcohol so you weren't using alcohol but you're using or not using but you were experiencing this with women as like it was alcohol yeah yeah and like obviously like these relationships aren't going to be fulfilling because at the core of them there's um, there's a pain. There's a bit of a, there's a, a pain. Or, yeah, there's right. yeah, there's like a there's loss involved in this. And so um, probably where I have the most, like I because of that, because of that, I would sometimes be like, well, if I'm with a person who's going to cause me this pain, then I don't care if I cause them pain. And so it kind of uh, lets you off the hook to say, oh, you know, it, this is kind of par for the course. We're both not being great to and for each other. And I had to realize, you know wholeheartedly that that was right you know that was me creating an ability for myself to get away with more of what I wanted for me and uh you know that was going to be a very lonely road going further if I continue to pull those kinds of people close how did you learn to 
break that cycle. And you, now you're engaged and yeah. it sounds like you have an amazing relationship and you have this deep connection. But one friend with one great line of advice. A good friend of mine, Paul, sat down with me and he just said one time, I said, man, this relationship and this and then, you know, and then like I'm half in and half out of it. And I'm just, I just don't like how it makes me feel. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like that's like my personal constitution. And yet I'm living this way with like, and he said, easily, he said, it's because you know the love of alcoholism. That's you, the love that you think you deserve is that. And I was like, like, like a, a speechless moment when I rarely get, like, I just sat there in my, we were in my living room and I was like, I need to change this. I need to change the people that I'm in, I'm surrounding myself with and the women that I'm meeting. I need to meet somebody who's very different, very healthy and something that I, I was maybe afraid to have, you know, which was somebody that really like was all the things that I'm being honest with you about, like call me on my, you know, right. you know, let's, let's have a, we're equal. I'm not better because of what I do. Like that's all hullabaloo. That's just stuff to bolster you up. I wanted somebody who just was very human and loving, mindful, thoughtful, compassionate, collaborative, and caring. And I wanted somebody who I could sit with and just feel like the value is just the love that's here. Not the fame or the success or money or no. what's happening. No, because that by that point has come and gone so many times. I've had more, I don't know if it's an ebb or a flow or a, you know, it, it's it, it's finicky, a career. It's so much, it's, it's uh, it doesn't matter. What matters is what you put your creativity into and how you feel in the moment creating it matters so much more than the zeitgeist, the, the, even though- Being in the culture and selling out the arenas. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, no, no, it, you know, it, it would be, uh, it would be uh, terrible to say to you, that's what I aspire to, uh, a, a single destination of our, an arena or a, like, yeah, I wanna play beautiful places in the world. I love that my comedy can do that. But what's more important is me going like, all right, how can I collaborate and help some of the people around me that are like, man, I have a, I have an idea for something that I'm excited. And I'm like, that's where I get really the yeah. most kick. The creative juice is the energy, totally. the strategy. of New yeah. beginning, out of the gate yeah. people, I love them. I wanna champion those kinds of people. So how did, I mean, how did you, when you met your fiance, from that one conversation with, I think Paul is his name, Paul? Yeah. From that moment till when did you meet your fiance? Yeah. And, and what did you have to overcome? The fears or insecurities that was, Really, it sounds like keeping you from true intimacy and allowing people to see you fully is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And, and you to be received by someone with all your in flaws. I was ready to be my full, complete self. You know, everything that I am, what I bring to the table, I was already before Kelsey doing that. I was doing that with every kind of relationship. An assertiveness unlike anything that I'd ever... Mm -hmm allowed myself to be before. Like probably, I'm sure in some people's eyes, like too assertive. Right, right. But it's like, I don't let one bit of false, um, you know, I, I, even if I said, I don't let one bit of false, I'm the first person to be like, I up. You know what, <laughs> yeah, I, the yeah. truth is, I, I actually one. do. Yeah. Um, you know, be, being just present, staying sure, present. Sure. So when I met her, it was kind of strange because I used to host on a, on, I'd never had a Friday night off in my entire career. I'd never had a Friday or a Saturday night, night off for 24 years. Machine. Never. And I finally had a Friday night off that at first I was really like, wow, this is, this is gonna, what do I do? So I decided, you know what I've always wanted to do? I've always wanted to have like a game night where I can invite creative people 
to just not do the traditional Hollywood, whatever that is, like something real East Coast and simple. Like my porch is open, sit up by the fire pit. We're going to play code names or mafia or like uh, running charades and like real easy. In fact, of the 30 or 40 people that would show up each week, there was barely anybody would drink. There wasn't any, it, and, and we all stayed in this like one little living room. Ki- cool. We're all like living room kitchen leaners. You know what I mean? Like sure, that's sure, how we sure. grew up. And so I met Kelsey when I started hosting the game night. And she we were, came. She came with some other people, brought her one. I didn't know her, but she came with some other friends. And we had people like, it was, it was a fascinating, it was kind of like one of the things that you would write about in like a, a book of Hollywood of like the amount of creative, interesting people that were out. Everybody. From every walk of life. Yeah, yeah. Just people that wanted to be around a nice, easy evening. Maybe a little bit of shop talk, but right, like right. truly like... Not have to be on. We're geeks. We're Star Wars right, fans. Right, right. We all love Game of Thrones. Like, it was just like, yeah. The, but some of the best of the best. I mean, I won't drop names, but sure, people sure, there sure. were like, man, like... I can't believe I'm now friends with so-and-so. It opened up my world in a way. I'm like, man, this Friday night thing that I've been for years just never acknowledging I can have this night, a Friday night to myself. So anyway, That's I meet cool. Kelsey and she's there for a while. And and then it was strange. One night we were all going to go to karaoke. Instead of the game night, a bunch of us are going to go do karaoke. And I was like, I'll pick up a few people. I picked up Kelsey and I was going to pick up two or three other people. And halfway there, um, the guy that put it together was like, we're not, we're... We can't do it. The babysitter, da, da, da. And the whole thing fell apart. So I already had Kelsey. I said, do you want to go get something to eat? We asked the other people. They were like, ah, oh, we're going to skip it. Mm. And over two hours, I sat and I realized, like, man, like, this is one of the most, um, I mean, I, there's a lot of ways I want to describe it. It's special. Just a very special human being. And we had a lot of similarities, even though there's a pretty good age gap. But we had so many things like that we kind of both came from. I can't speak for her right now, sure, but like sure. we just had a lot of things that sure. were like we didn't stop talking, and we were more and more realizing that like we had maybe like something stronger than a friend friendship, even though the jokes were flowing because I'm like I'm so much older. This you know you're gonna change, and I am who I am, and I kind of didn't you know I don't want to say I like poo pooed all over it, but the joke was like this would never ever work. <laughs> and then after about six months, um, actually fewer than that, I was like, I really would like to meet your parents so they know I'm a good person because I understand this. You know, even to this day, people want to say stuff about our our age difference, and you know, what's the gap? The age? Uh, Kelsey's 23, I'm 50, sure. but at that point, you know, we're dating. She's like 19, and wow. I'm 40. Da, da, da. Right, right, right. So understandably, like we were, you know, being talked about. The sure. narration, the narrative was becoming something that you know was not always. Nice, right, right, you know, right. sometimes painful, not desirable. But anyway, I wanted to get to know her parents and getting to know her mom, getting to know her dad, and then realizing, like, I love this family. Mm. And I'd never had the love of a family in a relationship like that either, where it was like, and, and not only that, but, like, the generosity and the genuineness and the things that I was realizing through this relationship were more important than anything career-wise we were oh. already building on. So I said... This is going to be cheesy, man, but uh, you know, Bring it. I, I said when I sat here, I was going to like, I'm not, I Bring wasn't going to, um, I told a friend of mine, maybe Paul, that I said, we're about, uh, you know, a year and a half in. And I said, I don't know if this is going to, like, I'm a young 50. I'm heading, like, I'm 20 <laughs> old. I'm energetic. I'm, I'm, I'm like, love of the game lives in me all the time. I, I just, uh, I'm effervescent. And I said, uh, if it only goes two years, I'm going to give this woman all my love that I could possibly give to somebody 
in the most real, stark, absolute way mm. for two reasons. So I'll always know I did that. And that for the rest of her life, maybe she'll know somebody really loved her. Mm. A man, especially in this town, the way this town right. operates. Um, then it's two years. Then it's three years. And I'm like, if it goes three years, I'm just going to give that same love. So when I know that, like, if it ends, and I kind of was like, I guess it's going to end. Someday? Yeah, yeah. But I was like, but we're never not talking and enjoying and building and creating. We talk about music and politics and art, and there's never a dull moment. So I go three years. And I'm putting this into it. And now that at five years, I'm like, I, this is love my life. And I'm saying to her, are you sure you want to... Be with me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, and the, yeah, I make... The jokes are... Sometimes they're very dark, man. Like, we... Kelsey and I have a great sense of humor. And, like, the joke is, you know, I would say, like, yeah, I want to start a family too late. You know, I'm going to be saying goodbye on my deathbed to my... <laughs> oh my you know... It, yeah, no. We, we joke and we get it. Sure. But also, when we hit that five-year point, it was like, we don't want anything or anybody else. And I, it was very apparent by her the things that she wanted aligned with the things that I was hoping... And here we are. Wow, man. Yeah, man. It was a gift. It's, I feel like it's like a gift from the universe. And it was kind of funny to, to be with somebody, too. She didn't really know about the success. And the, she knew. She got she it. She wasn't born yet. She was, <laughs> she was like, no, no. It's like, we don't. It's in my act. I know. There's a, there's a whole routine in the act about Kelsey and I. So I hope people uh, see that we can have fun with it. Yeah, yeah. It's fun, fun with it as well. But the. the That's great, man. The, well, the center point of the whole thing is. It's two people that really like That's beautiful, just man. care so much about each other. What's the thing you love about Kelsey the most? Just her heart. Yeah. You know, it, it, the way she um, communicates about how she feels about things. It, it's all this, man. The, the, it's all this same kind of. Um, we, we talk about it. We say we've always had just such an. A, a, everything is so real. You know, everything. There's no hidden agendas. There's no. The things that we both talk about that we want. It's like there's no it's no frills it's it's the most authentic kind of relationship that you'd want with anybody with anybody that's beautiful and so it's yeah man it's uh, that's the best thing man. that's happened to me i appreciate you opening up and taking the time because i think it's really inspiring to hear your journey and your story and I don't, I don't think everyone's heard you speak in this way consistently the way you've been opening up so i really appreciate oh that. man i appreciate it. this is a it's fun man great great chat this is fun man i want yeah. i want to ask a little bit about Business and strategy and kind of like the business. Business. Of, I, I could, love it. Which is a whole four-hour conversation. <laughs> Wait, 15 minutes. I we know, I to, know. That's what I'm saying. If we get good ratings on this thing, I, we might have to come back. Let's come back, exactly. I'll or, wear a nicer shirt. Or maybe uh, if you're still doing Friday nights, maybe I'll come over there and, and hear some Play some, some mafia home. Exactly. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, you were like early in the wave of, you were like leading the way. You know, you're one of the giants that people are standing on the shoulders of now, right? It's like you've, you've created something that people are trying to innovate with social media now uh, and do their own specials. And Andrew Schwartz, we're talking about this. We're yeah. doing their Andrew own Schultz. stuff. Yeah, yeah, Schultz was talking awesome. about this. You know, all these other guys are coming up and, and they're just really taking that and innovating it, right? Yeah. Where do you see this going now? Being kind of like, uh, you were calling it what, old guard or something or old dog in this world, but you're- yeah. oh, I'm old bull Old bull, point. sorry, yeah, yeah, old yeah, bull. Yeah. You know, you're, but you still got <laughs> you still got decades of creation oh, man, and yeah. innovation. But where do you see it from where you've been, mm -hmm. you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, where the world is now with streamer opportunities to get specials. But now people are saying, I'll, I want to be able to not censor myself and just do it on my own. Right, and, and, right. And I can make more money on my own potentially. And 
Where do you see it heading over the next three to five years? Seeing yeah. that, it almost seems like every year things are changing. Very much so. With streamers, network, touring, yeah. specials, digital, YouTube, TikTok. Like, what is now? What do you see is happening in the future for comedians? Yeah, I think, and, and artists in general. Who yeah, are, I think anybody who's uh, you know in in any version of um, you know self-made yeah. creativity or. Um, you know, innovation or, you know, even invention, it all comes down to protecting yourself with, with paperwork. I know it's like really a, a little, yeah, it's a little Super bit of sexy. It's a little bit of like, uh, you know, kind of, you know, a more maudlin type of answer. But the truth is I learned after so many years that if you have a great deal with somebody who truly has like a stake, you know, skin in the game, right? They want to benefit with you for whatever those reasons are, right? A, B, and C. Then that's a deal worth making and taking but for the most part it's just about people collecting and and um, sometimes in a half-hearted way sharing your content in a way that you don't want it to be received right because you know as a performer this is how the show went and so now that i've filmed it i want it to be you know uh shown in a in that same kind of light mm -hmm. and so i think where these things and somebody like andrew schultz or ck doing it through his website for some years or i used to do things on like a, uh, you know, sites that would provide like, you know, for $3, you can, you can come in PayPal, watch my show. I would set these like, you know, fly by night, you know, evenings up. And all of that leads to where above it all is now, which is I own the IP. Okay. So I yeah. paid for this. This special came out of my pocket. I was, I was fortunate enough to get with the greatest comedy director, Marty Kulner. That's beautiful. And put up my, you know, fronted the, the money and figured out a way to make this thing that not only was beautiful and I think um, aesthetically unique from a lot of the a visual perspective, cheap, yeah. cheaper things that sometimes a great comic gets with a stream or a network and then they don't want to pay anything. You know, they'll give you a little cash for your act and then they'll put even less into the set. And a set is theme, a set is tone. Um, a great editor is going to accentuate the things. If they just throw Johnny, the editor, who does all the edits, like you're going to look like her special and his special. All these things matter. Now, all the, those things are in paperwork. You know, edit, who we're going to hire, I want to write refusal, I want to blah, blah, blah. So understanding legalese, but also being able to create something and then say, where do I want this to live? And then how do I get paid back in success for it? Um, with this special, with Moment, who's the presenter of my show, it's a contract that's like a page. And it basically says... We're going to facilitate, almost like what pay-per-view used to be, maybe uh -huh. more so. You don't need to subscribe to a year for a streamer. You don't have to pay for something that you, you don't want. You just want to see this show. You can go right to my site or to Moment, click on it. You can get merch. You can be part of the after party. And then that's it. That's the rapport and the relationship that I would have at a club, a theater, an arena, and now online. And what that does is it, it presents me with the opportunity to to see where my IP goes, to see where the show goes, and and to be able to collect on that in success and 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 to not get screwed over, and this is how people are getting screwed over. Ready? Here we go. We're getting screwed over because you sign a contract in 2018 and the, the jargon in there refers to streaming. Well, two years later, streaming is called uh, downloading or vice versa. And so now the language doesn't quite protect you because some of your stuff is still considered streaming and some of it. And then, man, there's a new thing now, two years, called uh, hyper streaming. <laughs> right, right. 
Now, that person who owns your IP in partnership with you, partnership, mm. which, by the way, they don't allow you to look at the books. They don't allow you to look at the numbers. Right, it's not That's a not much of a partnership. Then they take and they're putting in hyper-streaming, but you're still getting your kickback from streaming or downloading. You will get lost in the shuffle. Somebody called me recently and said, I have a 30-page contract. I said, stop. I said, 30 pages is too much for this thing that you're talking about at your level. That should be a three-page contract. You should be able to sit there and read that. And understand and, it. And yeah. no, perpetuity is a bad word. <laughs> and then there's some other things that are that you're going to want to change in there. Where we are right now, with the success of Schultz, with the success of some of these other independent artists, um, I know even like uh, Bieber went through the moment route. Um, Scooter Braun is one of yeah. the investors. Um, Scooter's a Halsey, mine, yeah. amazing entrepreneurial yeah. guy. And, and wish I could meet him to thank him firsthand because- Oh, you never met him? He's incredible. I don't know him. No, I don't know him. But you know, now I'm working- You play basketball? I do. Come out and play basketball with us sometime. I'm not yeah, going to say I'll, no to that. I'll bring, I'll bring you out sometime when All I'm right. playing with you. I may have to wear a knee brace on the left, but okay, <laughs> I'm not, uh, I bang underneath too. Uh, but it's really like Scooter and those guys in Moment, yeah. uh, Bart Coleman and everybody, great group of people over there. And what they're providing is the opportunity to say, not only here's your show that you own and operate, we, we want to put you in the best light. But when you leave that experience, they give you all the analytics. Nobody bogarts your emails or you get the email list. You get all the numbers, you get the regions, you get the, you have all the data you'd want. If you were a comic like I was in 96, you'd pick up that piece of paper where somebody would fill out the comment card, say, we had a good time, we're from so-and-so, and you go, now I have an email or a phone number. Mm -hmm. Data is is the currency. You own the data. Not you the, own the not data. Not the streamer or the network or whatever, yeah. right? I'll be able to pay myself, I'm gonna recoup, hopefully very quickly, with my investment, and now I have something that looks completely unique, Beautiful piece of art with great Marty Culner. And the best part is maybe a streamer or somebody calls and says, now we want it. And then you can go, okay, let's then let's shrink that deal down. And hopefully what we're going to see in the next couple of years to answer more directly is less about these long term and you're chasing royalties and mechanical royalties and all this. It's like mumbo jumbo to say, can we put it on our streamer for right. six months? Why is that better? Because they've got six months, they're on the clock. You want to sell it? Sell it, promote it for me. Where's the billboards for most of these things? Right. I have friends that are huge comedians. Nobody's even knowing their specials out. It's they, on a splash page. It's it's not even uh, it's not even available. It, no. You have to look for it, search for it. Yeah. Yeah. Special should be special. Right. Special should you know and give and, it a moment. Yeah, exactly. Like so your we've, moment. We've created something that I know. I mean, listen, Marty Culner. I know what I bring to the table. That man is such a brilliant director that when I looked at the cut, I said, Marty, this is like this is the best I've ever been. And it's because I know you knew how to capture my version of storytelling. I mean, so, you've had some great stuff. This is the best you've ever met. This is the best. Wow. This is it. Because of that, you know, I had some tools in the, you know, in the arsenal in, you know, 05, 06, 07. And then, then I learned things. I was like, oh, man, if I can implement that into the routine. So now I've got an act that I wow. think covers a lot of bases. That's exciting. And when, yeah. you, do, when you do, you know, stand-up for 30 years or whatever you've been doing yeah. for... You've just figured out what works consistently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start to you start to understand that um, that people love not only the musicality that you bring uh -huh. to whatever your tempo and your style, I guess, but people talking about what we spoke to uh, earlier was people just love the truth. Yes. And if you can share truth, observe and report, or personal truth, then you've got for the most part a fan for life. They want right. to check in and go, "What's next?" Mm. 
I'm excited to watch this. Uh, above, uh, I'm going to ab- send you a link. You don't even need all. to. Okay, I got I got ten giveaway links okay. that I'm going <laughs> to. You doing a watch now party nine. here or no? What's that? You doing a watch party here in LA or no? Uh, oh, we're doing a big premiere at uh, the TCL Chinese Theater, the historic Chinese oh. theater. That's the night before. On the third, okay. First cool. comic to on the fourth. On the first fourth, comic gotcha. to ever do a, a screening in Theater One, that's the big cool. famous Star Wars theater. Ooh, that's cool. Um, and again, man, it's, just, it's so that's exciting. It's man. So exciting, it really is. I want people to follow you. You're at Dane Cook everywhere. You're also DaneCook.com. They can go and get the special there or through the moment. I guess it's is it moment.com? Or yeah, what it's moment.co. C-O. But if they go to DaneCook.com, it'll take it right there. Swing so, around. So go to DaneCook.com. I'm excited to watch this. I want people to watch it. Um, I think it's gonna be really powerful. If you're saying it's your best stuff, yeah. I mean that's that's yeah. putting well, it out in, there. I'm excited. The, that's in the eyes and the ears of exactly, your audience. Yeah, it's but all at the same time, yeah. I've been in the edit bay and we had a screening and I liked what I heard. I'm excited, man. I'm very excited about <laughs> I appreciate this. I've that. got I've got uh, two vinyl questions for yeah. you. I want to make sure people get this, follow you on social media. What's your social media platform of choice? I like TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, it's like MySpace 2.0. Yes. I feel like it's really vibrant. I feel like the people that are on there are really, uh, really genuinely creative and excited to be a part of that platform. Yeah, so yeah. that's where I kind of do most of my lives and stuff. This question is called the three truths question. Okay. So it's a hypothetical question. Oh boy. Imagine it's your last day on earth. You get to live as long as you want to live. Okay. You get to have the exact career, the relationship, the family that you desire, you envision. It all comes true. Yeah. But for whatever reason, this is the last day for you. Okay. You know, many years away. All right. And all of your content. I feel like I'm about to audition for a film. <laughs> <laughs> your character is Matt. He owns the rocket yes, ship. Yes. <laughs> the world is ending. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but for what, in this hypothetical scenario, all of your content is gone. It goes with you to okay. the next place. So we don't have access to this interview, anything you've ever written down, social media, comedy specials. We don't have access to your okay. message. Um, but for whatever reason, you get to leave behind three lessons to the world. Three and lessons. from everything that you've experienced in life, it can be any topic, anything. Yeah. And this is all the content we have to remember you by. Okay. <laughs> what would those three truths be for you that you would Oof. share behind? Yeah. Well, okay, so maybe unexpectedly, but I always have to have a little humor and Brilliant. a little, something cutting with a little humor. It's a quote that I heard years ago, and I, I love it. Some people brighten a room by leaving it. <laughs> and I never forget that. So you don't want to be that person. Mm-hmm. Some people brighten a room by leaving That's it. That's good. I think the second thing, oh man, the second bit of information would be um, anything that I ever do. Um, one time Mel Brooks, the great Mel Brooks, called me up. And it was to be in the producers at the Hollywood Bowl. And he wanted me to come in and play Franz in this very famous role. And I pulled over, I was so nervous talking to Mel Brooks that I pulled over on the side of the road. And he was like, can you do the accent? I don't care if you can sing. I, he wanted to know if I could do this funny German accent. He wanted me to do it on the phone. And I just, I didn't want to do it on the phone because like, what if I mess it up here? I just right. didn't. And so I said to him, I said, Mel, I just want, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I couldn't believe I was saying no. I said, I want to do this, but I can't do it on the phone. But I will tell you this. I would not say yes to this if I didn't feel I could exceed yours and my expectations. So exceed your expectations. Whatever mm. you expect of yourself, push it a little bit further, learn a little bit more, and have a little more heart and, and guts, and see what that does. And the last thing I would say, and, and it's, it's um, comparable to that, is uh, something I just told myself when I was very young. Kind of almost like a little bit of a soothsaying moment where I saw the future. 
look before you leap, but don't spend your life looking too much or it's all looking and no leaping. Mm. I love that, man. Got a lot of wisdom here. I like try, this. Try, man. Hey, and try to share it all. Um, before I ask the final question, yeah. I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Dane, for everything you've created and everything you've overcome. Again, I think, you know, I, I, I saw, I wasn't really into comedy necessarily when I was, you know, when you were coming up, but I think you brought comedy into my life mm. to make me aware of it. You know, hearing your comedy, it was like shared around college campuses and stuff. And right. I was like, it got me interested in, in comedy. And you being an innovator was really inspiring <laughs> to watch. And to see you innovate, even from a place where you weren't like, where you were struggling and maybe emotionally wounded or dealing with family challenges and keep innovating and keep showing up and then continue to do the healing journey. I think that's really cool because some people will just crash and burn and they never work on themselves. Right. But for you to do what is your truth, to work on that healing journey in, in all your relationships and things like that. I know you're not perfect. I'm not either. But to be on that journey and keep showing up is really inspiring. So I Thank want to you. acknowledge you for that, man. It's really oh, man. cool. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to uh, you know dominate in the paint uh, against you in a basketball <laughs> game one day. Um, my, my final question is what is your definition of greatness? I think that it comes down to, regardless of the outcome of what you even think or know of, of what you put into that 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 piece, presenting it and standing by it, mm. because the very fact that it maybe isn't perfect, is exactly why it's perfect. Mm. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it, man. Really appreciate you, dude. Thank Powerful, you, man. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. And also make sure to share this with a friend and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts as well. I really love hearing feedback from you guys. So share a review over on Apple and let me know what part of this episode resonated with you the most. And if no one's told you lately, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you are matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. At Metro, get an iPhone 12 with 5G and a dual camera system for $99.99. Take amazing pictures and share them instantly. And don't put up with life's yada yada. Yada yada. Like photo bombers. Zoom, crop out, yada yada. And bye. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Get iPhone 12 with 5G with no activation fees and nada yada yada. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Switch to Metro, bring your ID. This offer isn't available for customers currently at T-Mobile or that have been with Metro in the past 180 days.